0: Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just recently I was asked a question by a young person. What actually is the evidence for creation? Can we have any evidence, you know, for creation itself as opposed to evidence that evolution is impossible? And my reply was, well... The account of creation that is in the Bible is really the only reasonable account that we have uh, for the origin of the earth and the, the universe. You know, papers have been published um, purporting to um, explain how, you know, first life formed and this sort of thing from chemicals. But when we actually look at the chemistry of those... Uh, claims, we find, yes, they, they don't work. so Sure, so there's lots of evidence that evolution is impossible, that life couldn't form by chance. But in terms of the actual account of creation, the, the only evidence we have is the evidence that's been preserved for us in the Bible. And, of course, when we think about it, that... Um, Noah's son, Shem, was still alive during Abraham's time. And uh, so a lot of the material about uh, creation, which would have been passed down through the patriarchs, would have been available there. matter of fact, Noah only died a few years before Abraham was born. But when we look at actual scientific evidence, the for me, one of the strongest evidences... Is that the surface of the Earth is young, and civilizations are young. So to me, and there are only, um, there's evidence that the the surface of the Earth is only thousands of years old, and this of course fits in with the flood account that about uh, four and a half thousand years ago, or thereabouts, about two and a half thousand BC, the was the global flood, a catastrophic destruction of the surface of the Earth. With only a few survivors, that was Noah and his uh, uh, wife and uh, their three sons and their wives. And from that family group, the Earth uh, repopulated and of course, we have the evidence uh, for that. It's quite a, uh, fascinating that, of course, we inherit mitochondrial DNA from our mothers, and there are three main groups of mitochondrial DNA. So, just little subtle things like this uh, confirm the uh, biblical account as being, you know, highly accurate. And of course, some people say, well, you know, um, it's, the Bible isn't meant to be a, a science textbook. But the thing is that it still is correct. It doesn't have to explain things and it's not meant to give a scientific explanation. But the facts that it states still should be scientifically correct. And that's what we find. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about the Bible because there are so many aspects of this that demonstrate that the uh, Bible is you know, scientifically correct. Now, there was a, um, a chapter titled Evidences of a Youthful Earth in a book uh, that was published um, a few years ago now in 2005. It was called Origin by Design and the authors were Harold uh, uh, Coffin, Robert Brown and uh, R. James Gibson. And so that was published in uh, 2005. And in this uh, chapter, there, well, in this book was this chapter, Evidences of a Youthful Earth. And I, I think it's actually uh, gave quite a lot of very insightful um, evidences which suggest very strongly suggest uh, recent creation. And when talking about creation, we think, well, if the flood account is correct, then that is you know, powerful evidence that the biblical account of creation is also going to be uh, correct. When, of course, in, in school and on, you know, sort of uh, notice boards in national parks and that, we are all the time told about how old the earth is and that it takes millions of years to build mountains or to erode canyons and so forth. But when we actually look at the evidence it doesn't point to great ages and the author of that particular chapter was um, Dr Harold uh, Coffin and he had a PhD in zoology but he did a a lot, he was a creationist and he did a quite a lot of primary work particularly in the area of Spirit Lake after the uh, Mount St Helens eruption and and saw what was happening there. And he was, one of, he was uh, the main contributor to this uh, chapter. And he's written a number of different articles. And he points out that natural processes, for example, will destroy cliffs in time. And so rocks and little overhangs, they break off the cliffs because of erosion. And of course, freezing and thawing can cause cracking in rocks. Um, As water, uh, when it goes below four degrees, it begins to expand. And so water trapping is trapped in the rocks and the surface can freeze over first. And then as it gradually freezes further into the rock, it's trapped there. As it expands, it can actually crack rocks apart. And, of course, then there's also earthquakes. And so the products of these erosions accumulate at the bottom of cliffs. And if these cliffs were actually millions of years old, as acclaimed, they would have eroded away. They would have... Um, the cliffs wouldn't be there, particularly you know, with the sharp edges and the and the steep mountain sides that we often see in places like New Guinea and the Himalayas. And the other thing is that also this material runs down and it will fill up lakes. So lakes uh, will fill up, and um the other thing is too, with lakes that... Plants that grow along the margins of lakes, the edges of lakes, gradually push in towards the centre. So they accumulate soil and they grow a little bit further, accumulate some soil, and skeletons living in the water will accumulate on the bottom, and trees and leaves and other materials fall in to the water. So after a while, lakes will fill up. So these claims that many of these lakes, the you know, are going to be millions and hundreds of millions of years old, again, just doesn't work because they would they would fill up. Um, one of the examples, for example, that uh, Dr Harold Coffin gives in his book is that in New England, area of the United States, early settlers, uh, settlers rowed their boats across lakes where there are now meadows. And um, he points out that... When you look at the rates at which lakes sediment up and and change back into land, the fact that there are lakes all over the surface of the world is actually a very good sign that the surface of the earth is is young. And um, there are lakes in more southerly areas that we know were formerly covered by glaciers. And um, they would have uh, readily become marshes or meadows if hundreds of thousands of years had passed since their formation. I was interested to read when I was uh, reading the article that there's a river that flows into the Adriatic Sea in Europe that's called the Po River, P-O River. And it's on the east side of the uh, Italian boot, you know, that shape of Italy that's a bit like a boot. And, of course, there's a lot known about the... uh, the history in that area because, you know, we had the Roman Empire in that area and um, Greek um, uh, history before that. And uh, he points that we can actually trace the growth of this delta from uh, historical and archaeological records. And what uh, has happened is that sites that were once directly on the coast are now several kilometres inland. And the present protruding delta has built out into the sea since 1000 BC. And so, again, well, as we look at the uh, Po River, it does it deposits uh, uh, some sediments, um, and that some of these sediments are spread along the upper edge of the Adriatic, there's no way that the Po and its delta-building activity can be more than a few thousand years old. So when we look at these examples, it's it's really really um, you know strong evidence. I think I mentioned before that my wife and I have been to to Ephesus, and when you look there, that city that was once you know beside the sea is several kilometres again inland. Now it's changed so much, and yet you know the amphitheatre and the road and some of the houses and. The streets along which, you know, Mark Antony and Cleopatra would have walked are still there and Paul would have taught and so forth. So when we look at these examples, and these examples we can go and measure, we've got a lot of evidence for, they actually don't fit with the ideas of uniformitarian geology that require the deltas of the world's rivers to be much larger and much older than they actually are. And of course, but that's again what uh, the students are taught. Um, sediments are also accumulating in the ocean basins. Now, these um, sediments, there we have, uh, there's dissolved substances raw being washed into the sea, there's solid material runoff continuous uh, from the islands and continents, and again, there's remains of organisms that lived and died in the oceans themselves, um, as well as glacier and iceberg-transported sediments and windblown dust and so forth, seashore erosion, volcanic eruptions, and there's even meteorite dust. And at the present time, when we look at all these uh, things, um, we see that if the Earth was really as old as it's claimed to be, that even the oceans would fill up. And the oceans cover about 70% of the Earth's surface. But they have uh, an average depth of nearly five times the average height of the land above the sea. And so really the land area would, if it was really that old, would have eroded down to sea level long before the sea basins became full. So again, when we... Look at the data that we have. All these things, again, are pointing to a young Earth. Um, There's lots of, uh, you know, fascinating um, things. There's other things, of course. Um, Geologists claim that uh, there were 150 million years that uh, the continents have been breaking apart. They provide, say, would have provided sufficient time for land areas to erode to sea level, you know, ten or twelve times. So, as we say, when we look at the standard geological model, you've got these continents moving apart over one hundred and fifty million years, but yet they would have eroded away in probably less than ten million years, or around ten million years. So. Again, these, when we look at this data, to me, it all adds up. And there's data from all, all around the world. Um, for example, the present rate of runoff would have buried the whole Gulf of Mexico with sediments in 6 million years. The Mississippi River alone could have eliminated the whole of the Gulf in 10 million years. But yet the Gulf of Mexico is largely open. So, again, we have this evidence right in front of us that these structures that we see, like the Gulf of Mexico and so forth, uh, that have these massive rivers flowing into them, like the Mississippi, can't be the hundreds of millions of years old that the standard geology textbooks require for their model of the age of the Earth. And that's something that we... um, Need to consider in that the textbooks are based on a particular model, and this model is saying that the the, the lowest fossil-bearing ox, of the, the Cambrian are you know five hundred and fifty to six hundred million years old. But we know, as we can see from from this um, from this erosion data, which is extensive all over the world, and we we have the examples there, that the the surface just can't be that old but yet they require these times because they want really really long ages for the evolution of the so-called evolution of all the different types of animals that they find and creatures and plants and so forth they find further up what is called the geological column. The other thing that we need to uh, bear in in mind is that um, while the continents uh, still rise a above sea level quite quite high and the basins are largely unfilled this really throws into question the existence of the continents and the oceans for hundreds of millions of years so that's the other side this whole model that has this picture of these continents and oceans being as they are for hundreds of millions of years just doesn't fit anymore the other aspect is the absence of major erosion in the geologic column itself is a striking feature of its structure. If we look at the way that people draw the geological column, and I've talked about this before, when you look at the strata in the Grand Canyon, you see all these parallel surface layers there. The long periods of time had transpired between the strata. Weathering and erosion should have broken up the lower strata. And yet, these sort of irregularities are very rare to find anything like that. And any sort of erosion that is seen is sort of very, very minor. And so again, the, um, the these means of years that the, the standard geologic literature claims really doesn't fit the evidence that we can go out and observe. The other reason for young earth may be provided by um, humanity itself. One of the things that Dr. Coffin uh, talks about is the known rates of increase in human population. And it doesn't seem possible for humans to have occupied the earth for several million years. Also, when we study the history of language and the history of agriculture, it goes back just a couple thousand years before Christ, and... Um, about 4,000 years ago, and then suddenly it disappears. And, of course, sometimes now we find people trying to, um, you know, find carbon-14 dates, some of these older things. But really when we look at the history, the history that we can depend on goes back about 4,000 years and then, yeah, just suddenly stops. And when we look at the carbon 14 dating of course we know that's very iffy, can't be properly calibrated um, and there's lots of uh, reasons why any long ages that we get there really need to be calibrated in terms of much shorter time periods because the carbon-14 levels at that time are unknown. They're affected by cosmic ray flux which is affected by this magnetic field and all these other unknowns. The other thing of course is that... um, when we look at the um, the fossils, there are many plants that appear in the fossil record that are living today. One of the classic ones are the ginkgo. And um, the ginkgo plant, and, and, and perhaps many people take uh, ginkgo, ginkgo extract. It's supposed to improve uh, circulation of the blood and particularly to the brain. Uh, and, of course, um These were primitive, uh, Birardas primitive trees and prehistoric trees, and of course, they're found, um, uh, living specimens of course, of the Ginkgo were found. Now they're they're grown um, in various places around the world. Um, Nearby uh, to where I live, we have the Wollumbai pines again, which were uh, pine trees, uh, types of pine that. were believed to be extinct and existed hundreds of millions of years ago, but living specimens have been found in these very steep, walled canyons, that are only about a hundred uh, kilometres away from where I live. And when again you see these canyons, the sides of these canyons are, are virtually vertical, and they're they're quite they're quite narrow. They might be only. Uh, 50 metres across, something like that. Um, so they're very narrow canyons and, of course, that's why the trees have been preserved in that they're in these sunken canyons in the mountains and they've been protected from bushfires and the sort of thing that can ravish, you know, Australia um, and also from people chopping them down because they were very, very difficult to get to. You had to abseil into these um, canyons and so here again, the fact that we find these living uh, fossils of these trees again points to a young earth. Um, in the town of uh, Thermopolis, uh, that's Thermopolis in uh, Wyoming in the United States, there's a large hot spring emerges from the ground and flows into the Bighorn River nearby and um, Local um, inhabitants began using this water in the city park, for example, back in 1905. Now, it's interesting that um, a particular compound, travertine, from the minerals in the water that flowed from the top of the pipe has formed a tent-shaped dome around the pipe. And it's now, or when this uh, article was written about 15 years ago, it's reached a height and width of about 20 feet. And this dome even has a couple of small caves with stalactites inside. And so here we know that these um, these caves, this, this cave, this whole structure with stalactites and stalagmites and cave... Um, uh, well, it has stalactites inside, rather, uh, has formed in about... A hundred years, less than a hundred years. Um, in Carlsbad uh, caverns in uh, New Mexico, uh, famous caves down there, are uh, large pillars in what's called the New Cave. And it's interesting that under some of these pillars, these giant pillars in the Carlsbad uh, caverns in New Mexico, park staff have found Indian projectile points And so when the water drips from the ceiling of the cave, these stalactites may form from the ceiling and where some evaporation occurs before the drop falls. And then, of course, on the floor, stalactites may grow. So you remember stalactites from the top, mites from the bottom. (laughs) Um, And these pillars in the new cave were two to three feet in diameter and about 15 feet tall. And so, again... The fact that they find these Indian artefacts there limits the amount of time for these large pillars to form, looking at the airflow. And we know now that these sort of uh, stalactites and stalagmites, which were once thought to be indicators of great age, can now form you know, very quickly. Matter of fact, I've seen stalactites form from uh, minerals being leached from the concrete floors under the eaves of uh, university buildings that were less than 50 years old. And so I guess when we look at uh, the fact now that we've found the soft tissue in dinosaur remains, when we put all this together, we have this overall evidence that the surface of the earth is very young Got the widespread lakes. We've got the, uh, as I've mentioned previously in some of the previous talks, the lack of accumulation of rubble and sediments at the bottom of, of cliffs and of mountains. You know, particularly in places like um, New Guinea. We've got the fact that you've got massive rivers like the Mississippi and the Nile flowing into areas that, if they were really hundreds of millions of years old. 150 million years old, you know, with the movement of the continent, they should have deposited far, far more sediments that we find. Plus we know that the continents themselves would have eroded away to sea level or less, you know, um, over that time. So all around us is really this evidence of the, of the young Earth. But I think the other thing that I find most fascinating, which they didn't actually mention in this chapter are the accounts of the flood that have been preserved in so many different cultures around the world. And these have been studied by uh, secular um, anthropologists and secular um, sociologists who have have studied these records there. And we know the records predate uh, pre-Christian influence and, and so forth. And these accounts all point to this global destruction of the Earth by water. And, of course, the geological record itself. Again, uh, when we look at the layers of the, the Earth's crust, as i pointed out before, right on the surface of the earth crust, we have this thin layer of sedimentary rocks that are laid down underwater. And, of course, the geology textbooks recognise that. It's just that they put those... Um, catastrophic events, 70 million years or more old. But as we've just seen, if they're that age, with the current erosion rates, all this other evidence, we wouldn't have the structures preserved that we have today. So the current geological model that is telling everybody the Earth is so old has got to be wrong. And what we see and observe around us fits beautifully in the biblical account. And this, again, is why I powerfully believe that we can believe the creation account. Of course, that's not to mention all the experiences of answers to prayer and the miracles that are recorded, which is firsthand, which are firsthand evidence of the existence of a supernatural God and the accounts of angels and these things. When we put these all together, we have a powerful picture that there is a, a supernatural God outside the physical system of our universe who created us, who loves us and most importantly wants to have that relationship with us and he has revealed himself to people down through the ages and these accounts are recorded in the Bible and in Christian literature since the, the, uh, the death of Christ. And this should give us so much assurance that we're not following cunningly uh, devised fables. And this is why this message is so important. Why? Because it's a life and death situation. Because one day God is going to return. And those people that have chosen to follow him, that want to live according to his Ten Commandments, that he gave these simple rules for life, that he gave and choose to want to be in God's kingdom they will be in God's kingdom and the rest will be destroyed. This earth will be destroyed and made new again. And those who choose God, we will live forever with him to explore the beautiful universe, the beautiful new universe and life and amazing things uh, forever. And I think this is such a, a wonderful message and positive message. Remember, If you want to re-listen to these episodes, just Google or go into your search engine and enter 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the listen button. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.